This is a HeadGum Podcast. Greg, we've all heard of fingersmiths, but have you ever been a websmith? Once upon a time, maybe. (laughs) But I think my skills are a little rusty. Mm, Well, if you need help putting together a website, you should consult the websmiths over at Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They will allow you to claim a domain, sell stuff online, market your brand, and see analytics so you can uh, see stuff about the people who are seeing your stuff. Whoa. (laughs) People can look at you and you can look right back at them with Squarespace's analytics. Um, They've got world-class engineering, beautiful templates, powerful e-commerce tools, and it's DIY in nature. They've got templates you can start with, but you can move stuff around however you want it. I love it. Just the way you like it. I like to do it myself. That's good. Um, And if you mess something up while you're doing it yourself, they've got 24-7 award-winning customer support to help you when things go wrong. So if you would like to smith a website, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue for your free trial. Use the offer code overdue to save 10%. Squarespace. podcast about the books you've been meaning to read my name is craig my name is andrew sometimes a vowel surprises you and you just gotta (laughs) ride that wave just kind of gets out in front of you a little bit (laughs) you know drinking a coffee beer because i need to drink a beer and also wake up a little bit so that's what i'm drinking you know that's what that was the premise of the beer that they made on the Drew Carey show. You big Drew Carey show fan? I (laughs) Cleveland does rock, but I have not seen an episode of the Drew Carey show in some two decades. Buzz beer, they called it. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. That's a good. That's a good reference. A lot of people get that one. Yeah, I'm just. uh, I don't have (laughs) coffee in mine. That's too bad. That's too bad. You should go. If you want me, if you want to wait, I can wait while you go get coffee to dump in your beer. Great. Okay. Be right back. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I wrote a horse like to you, my coffee pot. Yeah, he's doing the thing like where you say you're going to go down to the basement, but there's not stairs and you like walk down behind the couch and now he's back. Uh, this is our Foley and Book podcast where each of us once a week-ish uh, reads a book and tells the other person about it. Uh, the, the podcast is is every week, but once a <laughs> once a week we read a bookish. Um, and you're here listening. Why are you still here? Why are you still here? Why are you still doing this with us? We appreciate that you are. We though. really do. Craig, read to me the name of the book that you read. <laughs> I will prove week. to you that I read this book by telling you that I read Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. Whoa, nice! It was a Patreon recommendation. Thank you, Cheyenne. 
who had this to say, I'd like to add one of my favorite books to the stack with Sarah Waters' book, Fingersmith. I find it incredibly funny, moving, and extremely readable, so I hope you enjoy it too. It is also one of the few books I have read that positively uh, that positively depicts queer female relationships, and I think it's important to find those books and share them with as many people as possible. It meant a lot to me when I first found it. And then Cheyenne goes on to say, I don't know a lot about Sarah Waters other than that she has written several novels, but I would highly suggest checking into Park Chan-wook's film adaptation, The Handmaiden, even if you don't read the book. Um, it is a great film and a very interesting adaptation that takes the story from working-class Victorian England to the Japanese occupation of Korea in the 20th century, which does sound huh. very interesting. Huh. And based on my time reading this book, I might be interested in a film adaptation. Yeah, so. there's there's the Handmaiden... Um, they did like a BBC TV adaptation. Of course they in did. It's the BBC. Of course, of course the Beep did it. Uh, <laughs> and then there was a stage adaptation uh, that was performed at the Oregon Shakespeare uh, Festival yeah. mm-hmm. in 2015. They do so. more than Shakespeare. I don't know if you knew that. They should call it something else then, huh? Yeah, Shakespeare's what gets them in the door. It's a trick. That's like me, that's like me saying, I'm this is my M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> film festival. Uh-huh. And when you get there, I just show a bunch of like indie some movies I made. <laughs> but I'm screening <laughs> twist though, but but like but like you're but you're sitting in the break room watching the sixth sense. Uh, and that's what that's what makes it an M. Night Shyamalan movie festival. Yeah, sure. Here's some movies mm-hmm. I like as much as M. Night Shyamalan movies. Welcome to my film festival. That's most <laughs> that's usually how those other shows get put on. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I came out to introduce another one of my <laughs> movies i would i would say really leading stuff to get people all amped up like there there are some signs that you'll really enjoy this next flick boy the 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 twists and turns in this next movie will have you asking yourself what's happening here what's what's the happening in this movie the tension in this film is unbreakable Mm -hmm. i feel old (laughs) i feel old right now yeah, no, what, he hasn't done anything recently, probably, so it's fine. No, his, the film he did was called Old. It came out, it's the beach that makes you old. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Didn't watch that one. I feel old enough Oh, as my it is. God. Tell, tell our listeners about Sarah Waters, please, Andrew. Whew, every minute of this show has been gold. So <laughs> it's gold, Jerry, it's uh, gold. Joel, Garrett, gold. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Please, Sarah Waters was a Welsh novelist. <laughs> if you if you must know, <laughs> she was born in 1966. Uh, she is known for her Victorian lesbian fiction. If there is one thing you know about Sarah Waters, it's probably that. Uh, novels include uh, Tipping the Velvet from 1998, Affinity from 99, Fingersmith from 2002, The Night Watch from 2006, The Little Stranger from 2009, and The Paying Guests from 2014. Um, she has said of her work that she is fine with being identified as a, as a lesbian writer. Um, she says, quote, I'm writing with a clear lesbian agenda in the novels. It's right there at the heart of the books. But she has also said of... Of her books, lesbian themes that they're like, quote, incidental to her sure, because she's just gay and that's just her life. And so she doesn't sometimes when she's writing, it doesn't she doesn't feel like she's trying to push the gay agenda. She's just like writing what she knows like anybody does. Yeah. 
as yeah. you just write the characters that are similar to you in some places. Yep. Um, yep, yep, yep. Do you see anything? I saw that her first novel, Tipping the Velvet, like she got the idea for it while she was working on her PhD thesis. Yes, yes. It's Her thesis was sort of basis, sort of foundation for her first novel. Like while she was working on it, she was like, I should write a book. And then mm. she did. Mm. <laughs> Because it was about it was about historical lesbian and gay fiction, I believe. Yes, and as- uh, Wolfskins and Togas: colon, Lesbian and Gay Historical Fictions, eighteen seventy to the present. Sure, okay, okay. Which is a PhD thesis title, if ever I heard one. <laughs> uh, but she got her BA from the University of Kent, her MA from Lancaster University, and then that PhD from Queen Mary University of London. Um, and her inspirations include Dickens, who I think we should probably talk about in the context of this book because he was mentioned by reviewers. Okay. The the New York Times he- review talks about Dickens a lot. Both the New York Times and the Guardian reviews both start. This is there's another sort of Victorian-ish novel that this reminds me of. Now let me talk about Fingersmith. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Dickens, uh, Wilkie Collins, and the Bronte sisters were all inspirations for her. Wilkie Collins and the Bronte sisters saw them open for band, Oasis once. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty it was good. Awesome. Um, she has been out since the 1980s, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what I've got on her. Like her, her books and her work in general have been nominated for many awards. Her author page is mostly a list of of those things. <laughs> this one I, worth note like it was shortlisted for the Orange and the Man Booker um mm-hmm. which I think are like the two most notable. She's it also won like well, there a There should prime be a fiction. Why isn't you, why is there a woman Andrew, booker prize? Made this joke before. <laughs> I'm so well, old. The, there's there still isn't one though. I'm so old. They should fit they should fix it. If you love uh Empire, you might know that you might be interested to know that she uh got her OBE designation from Royal I don't know how that works. I don't know who gives oh, it. Oh, you to mean you. like the you mean the concept of yeah. of Imperial. Not the television show. Not imp- not imperialism. <laughs> yeah. But just Empire. If you love Empires, you'll be interested to know that Sarah Sarah Waters is an OBE for her uh contributions to british literature neat and yeah. yeah as i mentioned the the book that that handmaiden adaptation sounds pretty interesting a lot of folks i saw in the like goodreads and social discussions of this book mentioned that they came to it actually through that movie uh-huh. um so that's that's interesting and yeah do you want to say anything about dickens now do you want to I don't know what you have prepared to say or if you just I mean, want to riff have, on the I don't have a lot prepared. Charlie it's, D. It, it's more of a, like, I'm going to read this thing that I read and maybe it'll jog something for you and maybe it won't. Mm. Okay. Um, this is from the New York Times Review from 2002. It is giving nothing away to readers of Sarah Waters' previous novels, Tipping the Velvet and Affinity, to reveal that the intimacy becomes sexual. <laughs> in both of these books, Waters explored lesbian love in a literary idiom in which sex has traditionally been either absent or sublimated, yeah. and in any case, straight. Sue Trinder herself is Oliver Twist with a twist, female <laughs> and sexually aware. So Oliver does that, Twist with a twist. Yeah, is that is that do anything for you? It does. It so the book. And we'll talk about more, we'll talk more about this in the context of the plot after the break. But like, yeah, um, yeah, pornography features heavily in 
the book from a plot perspective. A couple of the characters are like working on projects related to pornographic literature in the 19th century. And then that, I think, gives the book permission or not even gives the book permission, but Waters is interested in like, well, that's in the book. And that also means I'm going to show you some sex stuff. Mm-hmm. in the book and you're right like i've read some charles dickens and like hey nobody having sex in those books it's just it doesn't happen no. um the name his name in that way is sort of misleading it is a little bit actually um like your film festival so mm-hmm. the <laughs> the idea that this is like you know it still has the melodramatic and adventurous plot beats but it feels rooted in a like, okay, but like there were people living, there were gay people, there were lesbians in this time period, there were people interested in sex in this time period. It just wasn't being written about in the same way. Or if it was, it wasn't mainstream. It was being kept under wraps. Well, and I don't I don't know the exact stuff at, at play here, but I know that like morality laws and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing yeah, have good ever point. been an element of like many societies, British society in particular. I read so, like, who, who knows, who knows what even was beyond what was considered yeah. polite. Who, who knows what was even allowed. That's probably true. somebody, That's but not true. us, <laughs> not us. Uh, <laughs> I've also seen this book compared to the crimson petal and the white by Michel Faber. I read for our podcast 20 yes. years mm-hmm. ago. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, that sounds right. And, this has some of that going on, but it's it's on a different uh, like tack um, in terms of like the type of plot that it's up to. But I sure. think you're if you're looking for contemporary ish entries in the Victorian novel, uh, this is certainly playing in that space. So I don't know what else to say about Charles Dickens. I don't, that's that is as germane. much you. You got there. No, Great. I'm good. I'm, that's good. <laughs> well, Do you want to take a break and then we'll come back and talk about the rest of the book? I would love to. Thank you. Andrew, a lot of us had a big family weekend this past week. Yeah, we week. did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after one of those, sometimes you might need to, like, talk to someone not in your family <laughs> about like what just what's going on in your life in their life what's not going on with your family like it's just helpful to talk it out sometimes after like a pressure cooker of a of a relationship situation so yeah 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 i feel like much some, like much like cooking turkey it's cooking with your family it takes a long time yeah and it doesn't always go well it does and sometimes you want to talk about how it went afterwards so i would like to tell our listeners about our sponsor better help which makes professional counseling accessible affordable and convenient better help will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist you can send them a message at any time you can schedule and join weekly video or phone sessions and you don't have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room or have to work one more commute into your schedule plus the service is available for clients worldwide wherever you are you could try out better help as a listener you'll get 10 percent off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash overdue. Join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash overdue. Stop talking turkey. Talk about whatever you want with BetterHelp. Mm-hmm. 
Andrew, this is. Let me read you a list of of things I jotted down about this book. Okay, I love when you read me lists. So hit me. You actually don't. But anyway, you don't like lists. <laughs> you don't like lists in fiction. Maybe. Maybe you are. Maybe you do actually love when I read you lists. But I didn't know that I had like a a way that I felt about lists in in fiction. You went but in on unless it. you're talking about. Ready Player One. You went in on it on that on that book where uh, the Uncle Sam had sex with Pre- with Nixon. <laughs> sure, okay. But anyway, here's a list of <laughs> that things. Book, that book did other things to me, but <laughs> sure. Here's a list of things about the book Fingersmith. It's a book in which everyone is a thief and a liar. Okay. It's a book in which men are all terrified of or trying to exert power over women or both. Yeah. It's a book in which women want to connect with other women, even when it is difficult or potentially painful to do so. It's a book in which people get trapped in their own schemes. It's a book about pornography and who gets to write it, read it, or live it. And it's a book in which Charles Dickens stuff and Wilkie Collins, the women in white get mashed up together. <laughs> this is my okay. understanding. Sure. Any of I those like that. Were, if you're coming up with an ad campaign for pornography, I think write it, read it, live it <laughs> would be, wouldn't be a bad tagline for the subway ads. Yeah. That's what VR is for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, any of those uh, little bullet points, scratch your fancy. You want to start on any of those? I mean, I don't want to go right for the pornography because mm-hmm. I know we'll get there eventually. Yeah. So I don't know. Tell me about tell me about how what the woman stuff is like. Great. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what a good question. <laughs> so our main character is Sutrinder. Who is an orphan living in Lant Street house um, with uh, her guardian, her her you know not her actual mother because her mother was uh, hanged for murder uh, when Sue was very young, and Sue watched it from the window of this place where she lives. Um, but she was raised by Mrs. Suxby. <laughs> this was called out in the New York Times review <laughs> as one of the more de- explicitly Dickensian names. Yeah. Mrs. Suxby. Mrs. Suxby. And there, there's a guy that they just call gentleman all the time. And those are the two like namiest names in the book. Uh huh. Um, but Does it do that thing where like it is like Mrs. M and then blanks out all the rest of the letters of the name? It doesn't do that. Name? Like, no. Okay, right, it it right, doesn't. Right. It, on the page, it is not taking too much. Uh, it's not making too much of an effort to ape the 19th century style. Cool. Um, okay. Yeah. That, that was a question I had. It's like it's it's dealing with the subject matter, but is it trying to also ape the form? No. The that weird sci-fi book I read was trying to yes. be like a, a romance book. No, it's not doing that. Um, so Sue lives with Mrs. Suxby. Uh, who runs this house with Mr. Ibs, and their house is basically like the Fagin house from Oliver Twist. Like, it's uh, a couple of thieves live there. John Vroom and Dainty live there. 
John Vroom. John Vroom. The inventor of, of going fast, I <laughs> assume. Uh, and the the thing that Mrs. Suxby does is that she takes in like infants from people who don't want to raise them, and then she will like sell them to someone else later. Like she, you know, kind of under the table. Like yeah, you need sort of a eBay for babies. Yeah, eBay baby. Yeah, and Mister <laughs> Ibs has he's kind of like that alien from force awakens that ray has to bring all her trash to like people um the one played by simon Pegg. he didn't look like simon Pegg though um <laughs> it's a good good note and that i have helps. a lot of movie notes in my notes this time around okay. i don't know why um but he basically like lets you know thief kids fingersmiths who are stealing things from people um mm-hmm. just bring him little valuables and then he will give them money for them sometimes uh throughout the day and, and i bet he's giving them a real fair deal oh like market, yeah market rate definitely definitely mm-hmm. like buy it now rates for stuff um and she sue is at the be at the beginning of the plot of the book she's 17 years old she has kind of got this special status in the little community such as it is where Mrs. Suxby has been kind of like keeping her from more dangerous jobs, keeping her from really being put out on the edge where she might run into trouble. She still learns how to be a thief. She's still very resourceful and um, has her own skills. But there are there's like a little mix of like special child syndrome thing happening where she's like Suxby has like I don't know, singled her out for special care and also like people not liking her for her own sake. Like she's just kind of, she's a unique in the community for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy, gentleman, who later starts going by the name Richard Rivers. <laughs> is that his name? Who knows? I would have stuck with gentleman, honestly. Well, everybody calls Last him year. gentleman with a capital G. And he has a scheme, Andrew. Comes in with a scheme. Yes, hit me with the scheme. He has started giving painting lessons to a wealthy heiress. And he wants to marry her. um, And when she turns 18, she will will get an inheritance. And he's going to bring that money back to this hive of villainy and thievery um so he is going to enlist uh sue to become this woman's maid and basically like convince her really convince her to seal the deal with this stranger uh and make the marriage happen it's it remind uh, here's my other film it reminded me of parasite okay. it reminded me of like we're going to go into this rich people's house and we're going to pretend one of you is going to pretend to be their servant one of you is going to develop a relationship with them and then we're going to swindle them we're going to get some money out of them okay these are like the newest movie references i've heard you make in in some time <laughs> Listen, there's more than Adam Sandler movies up here, Andrew. You normally, I just feel like your your film references stop somewhere in like the 2009 to 2011 window, yeah. and I I like this this more, slightly more contemporary 
look for you. Yeah, weird that a book from two thousand updated. <laughs> yeah, for the for the there's New Year right around the corner. New Year, New You, new movie references. Yeah, now these are movies I haven't seen in a while. But anyway, um, yeah, no, they're still several years old. I'm just saying that relative <laughs> to what you're normally referencing and what we are both normally referencing on the show, yeah. they are like pretty new still. Um, what if I just start exclusively referencing Netflix trash movies that come out like the week that they come out? Mm-hmm. Red what is that movie? red nation nothing but nothing but squid game references okay. from here can on do out. can do <laughs> anyway gentleman needs sue to be the maid to gain the trust of the lady he's going to give her three grand for the gig uh he says that after he marries this woman he will commit her to a madhouse because uh, that is purportedly what happened to her mother who died so like we'll just stick her in there she won't be our problem anymore and I'll still be legally married to her, so I'll get all the money, and mm. I'll bring it back. Mm-hmm. And at one point, Sue's like, "This seems a little fishy. Is <laughs> yeah. why are you just gonna take her money like that?" And he says, "Listen, do you think that her family got this money honestly? They were tr- they were, you know, probably breaking the backs of the working people to get this money. This is an argument that he brings up a couple of times, and he is both not wrong and a bad person. It's pretty. It's a. It's a good yeah, time. I, mean, I think you can you can pick out a, an incident or or two or a person or two in your life who has used the sort of whataboutism yeah. argument. Like uh, other people do bad stuff, so that justifies. Uh, bad behavior on my part yes and he is not like advocating for wealth redistribution and social programs he just wants to steal this woman's money and lock her in an asylum yeah no and he'll he'll tie it to more lofty ideas if it will help him in the moment correct that's not that's not the main thing that he's worried about they go through a training montage where she has to learn to be a maid um and she this sounds hilarious what song would you set it to um the kesha song the i'm a woman song (laughs) okay fine uh more topical references uh she they kesha they (laughs) teach her to tie a corset like on a chair like they dress a chair which is kind of both goofy and demeaning to the idea of this woman that they're going to be serving, which is kind of interesting. And then we get the like fish out of water um, class discrepancy thing where she goes, she gets shuttled off to this house called Briar, which is where Maud Lily lives. And she's going to start serving Maud Lily uh, who lives with her weird, rich uncle, um, who we later learn treats her like garbage, but we don't get all of that in this first part of the book. And the I, I'm gonna like take a step back from just pure plot synopsis here, Andrew, to tell you that Maud is our other primary character. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the structure of the book is three parts. The first and third part are from Sue's perspective, and the middle part is from Maud's perspective. And they are the ones who wind up in a relationship. And you can see that starting to take form. But the big thing of this book is that everybody's running cons all the time. And so (laughs) even as they start to have earnest feelings for each other and start acting on them, 
they're aware that they're running a con on the other person. And so, like, something that doesn't get sorted out until the very end of the book is, like, what of these feelings are real? How can I communicate these feelings to this woman I'm interested in? Mm-hmm. How much of these feelings do I believe? And would she believe me if I said them to her? Um, so that's like, they are very similar characters on purpose. And I've seen in some of the reviews of this book that like people found them a little too samey. I don't know that I would go that far, but I do think samey in that they're boring to read. Like I, I can see why you would make them samey if you're trying to like imply that they would vibe, but <laughs> well, it, not that they're boring to read, but they're, they might not feel as distinct from each other. And because of it's a long book for what it is, is what is my like up front. I will say yeah. like, I feel the, like I felt like the book was a little shaggy. Um, I had looked up, as I often do, some three star reviews, and oh, the, you. you know, I, I don't have I don't have a lot of specific quotes to call out. Uh, Georgia says, "quote I've been reading this book for a long time." <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a lot of a lot of people called out how long it is and how they're you know the the first part of the book and the second part of the book feel like they're often pretty repetitive. I got like a, a wide range of reads on the ending and whether it was good or not like sure. the, i think the new york times and the guardian reviews sum up that pretty uh succinctly so we can we can get to that when we get to the ending but yeah most people just talked about how long it was and how like it it doesn't justify the length and it feels sort of repetitive was yeah. that was the vibe that i got so let me get to the part that is the repetition i will say that yes. what what feels like one of the things that might actually really interest someone reading this book, but I was trying to figure out where the plot was going. So maybe I was just kind of reading it a little wrong is that there's a lot of internal, how am I going to navigate this scheme? Not quite monologuing, but just a lot of internal characterization happening for both Sue and Maud. And, at times that just starts to feel like a wheel that's spinning without going. It's like, I'm not learning that information by what they're doing um, or how they're moving through the world. And so like contrasting it with the parts of the book where stuff freaking happens, um, (laughs) the parts where it's a little more internal felt draggy to me. um, Though, if you are really invested in these characters, that might not be a problem for you. Um, Not to say that I wasn't like, actually invest in them but if you start to really click with them that might just be a thing that you like more than i did sure yeah um okay so they meet mod uh the the rap on mod is that she might be a little simple or a little off it's unclear what is her deal no one really knows who she is because her uncle keeps her in his house all the time and she has to wear gloves all day and she's not allowed to leave the place and for a couple hours every day, he brings her into his library and makes her do something with him. Nobody really knows. Um, we learn later that she's like copying things down or writing things down. When we see this library from Sue's perspective, it is she walks in the library to see Maud because Maud told her to do it. 
And the uncle's like, you can't come any further than that brass finger on the floor. <laughs> and behind that finger, you're not supposed to be able to see like the printing on the books to see what the books are. Doesn't matter because Sue can't read. So like she doesn't even know what's on the books anyway. Okay. She just mm-hmm. thinks dudes work on a dictionary. Okay, <laughs> cool. She starts hanging out with Maud. Um, and the thing that starts to happen as they develop a friendship is Susan says, it was just, I suppose that we were put together for so many hours at a time. It was nicer to be kind to her and not think too hard about what lay before her than to dwell on it and feel cruel. So Susan starts to actually care for this young woman who she thinks is being kind of shut up in this house and maybe being mistreated and just needs someone to actually be nice to her. And she starts to doubt a little bit that she actually loves the gentleman, that Maud might love the gentleman. But his name's a gentleman. His name is Gentleman. That's true. So even as she has second thoughts about this, she's like, well, if I were to come forward and say something, I would have to reveal the fact that I got this job under false pretenses and I'm a (laughs) schemer, so I can't do that. Uh They... It, the biggest moment that the two of them have together is what is referred to, I think, as the Pearl scene, which is when Maud has been having night terrors, maybe, and has started requiring that Susan's like stay in her bed with her at night. And Maud starts getting worked up about, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do when I get married, like, what I'm supposed to do with him. And, like, is probably going to start with kissing, but then I don't know what else is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe no, nobody had the talk with her, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I don't think they had invented the talk yet. <laughs> nobody knew how any of that worked. Let, somebody let us know when they invented the talk. Um, and they have sex. Ma, okay. Like... Sue is just like, hey, well, let me show you. I'll kiss you. And then she kind of can't stop kissing her. And then they're touching. And as she's like kissing her, she's like, she says, you pearl, you pearl, you pearl is what she calls her because Maud is so pale and, and, um, like, I don't know what that is. It's the same thing that she says about her. Um, uh, as dirty talk, I'm going to give it a C minus. Um, but it's like, it's this very hot and steamy scene. And, uh, in the morning, Maud says something like, I had a dream that you were in. And Sue's like, I don't know if I was in that dream. It might've been the gentleman. And then they never, they don't talk about it again. Um, so it's (laughs) unclear if they're like, it's unclear from the way it's written. It's deliberately unclear. Like, are they just kind of speaking in code to each other? Is it a little bit of that? And is the book trying to like make you wonder if it happened, or are you pretty sure that it happened? You are sure that it happened, but you're not sure what Maud understands because at this okay, point, sure. you're through looking through Sue's eyes, and you don't. Well, and you know, still think maybe she's kind of yeah, kind of like an idiot. who knows yeah. what's going on with her for sure. Um, okay, they advance to hey, we have to abscond in the middle of the night with the gentleman to this yeah. wedding in the middle of the woods that we're going to go have. And the whole time, Sue's like, I don't know, man. She seems really not into this. And gentleman is like, shut up. This is the plan. What are you going to do? Tell her who you are. And Sue's like, oh, no, I kind of think I might 
lover or something, but I guess I got to do this plan. Uh, that's the tension of the end of the first part of the book <laughs> where she gets married to gentlemen, and then gentlemen, they hang out in this cottage for a little bit to lay low, and he has some doctors come and inspect Maud and take a statement from Susan uh to prep them for sending Maud to the madhouse which was the plan okay. remember right yeah they take obviously they take the coach to the madhouse now critically andrew mm-hmm. maud has not been eating a lot this past week she looks kind of thin okay she looks kind of sickly like maybe she isn't uh a you know a proper lady who you know is treated well and she's been given a lot of her food to sue uh, at one point, she gives Sue a dress of hers to wear. And we roll up to the madhouse, and they open the carriage, and the doctors take Sue. <laughs> what? And they're like, we're taking you, Miss Lily. We got to take you. Or Miss Rivers, because she's married at that point. We got to take you, because your husband showed us that you're cuckoo. Uh-huh. And Maud, who is in the carriage, and she's like, "Oh no, my lady is being carried away. That's my that's the woman I work for." Oh no! Wait, so Maud didn't do that on purpose? Oh no, Maud did that on purpose. Okay, that's what. I <laughs> so that's a th- that's a Maud, third of the way. Did, why could why you do this to me, Maud? It's a third of the way through the book, and I was like, "Oh man," it. W- I was a little bit nervous about where the book was going to go after this wedding because i couldn't really see the next i knew it was a long book and i was like i don't know what's gonna happen after this wedding and then uh they did a they did a bait and switch and they sent the wrong person on purpose to the asylum and i was like that oh snap what a good twist yeah then we get all of part two which is from Maud's perspective starts when Maud was a baby and tells us about her life that's growing too up, long ago. No, growing up gotta, in an asylum. You got to start sooner than that. Because her mom, she, the story she knows is that her mom had her in an asylum and then they raised her there and treated her poorly. And then when she was 11, her weird uncle showed up and said, hey, you got to come to my house and I am building an encyclopedia of porn. And I need you to read all this porn out loud to me so I can write it down and put it in my index. Uh, so that's what Craig, the uncle's I, really I, doing. I think you know the encyclopedia of porn is called Dickipedia. <laughs> the encyclopedia everyone can edit. Yeah. Um. So he, we learn a little bit about how she's been mistreated at her uncle's house and how her uncle invites these men over to listen to her read this porn. She doesn't really understand the sexual nature of it. She's been reading it since she's so young. She just kind of thinks it's strange and is a little inured to it. She does seem to have these weird dreams and, you know, flights of fancy. She also develops a little bit of a sadist streak and tortures some of her previous servants. Yikes. And then the gentleman shows up and starts working his scheme. But what he tells her is he says, listen, if I marry you, and you give me some of that money that you're going to get, I will take you out of here. Mm-hmm. And the way that we're going to do this is I know someone else that I will make be your maid, and then we will do a switch and put that person in an asylum, uh, which is a real 
big choice in my opinion. And so then we get all of part one from Maud's perspective. Man, so I feel like if you were writing this book like 15 years later, that would be a this would be a different book in the series. This would be like the the gray of the or the like the twilight gender swap or whatever like you would you would not do this in the same book what's interesting about putting it in the same book is it is showing how maud is trapped in a similar scheme as sue is where she can't reveal that she is conning sue even though she knows that sue is conning her and so we get a lot of these okay. these scenes and these interactions. We get a lot of other information that we didn't see from Sue's perspective about the porn library and about what the gentleman's up to and a little bit about Maud's background. This but, is like some Gone Girl stuff. It is. Sounds some, like. Yeah, that's kind of what's going it's on. It's like Gone, gone Lady. <laughs> yeah, that's good. God. Be gone, lady. Um, yeah. And Leave, Leaving Lady. <laughs> The thing is that the some of the beats, because it's covering the same plot material, feel a little too similar. Like the just the perspective shift doesn't always feel enough. At times, it's very interesting because Maud's an interesting character, but it does feel like we're just going through a, a couple of the same scenes. You, yeah. Like, do you, do you think that there's like a structural fix for that? Like, if we if we gotten these like POV chapters switches like interspersed with each other, and you just pick whoever's I perspective would have been the most interesting, that, or like if 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 you if Mod her perspective is more like limited to the like the time that you're in and maybe you pick up a little bit of like her background and her youth and whatever from from context but you don't like go through every that single might, bit of the story beat by beat again like how do you how do you fix it for me i don't know that i yeah i don't it it's a book that a lot of people enjoyed i'm not trying to come out here and say it's wrong i think how how would if you were going to make the version of the book that you would enjoy more <laughs> how, what would you do then? i would just tighten up both sections straight away is Maud's internal monologue is ramblier than Sue's. So if there was a way to still get the Maud vibe across in fewer words, that would have helped me. Um, and I would have maybe truncated the beginning a little bit. Or I just I wanted to get to that twist. As soon as I got to that twist, I was like, wow, this is where the book starts. Uh-huh. And then I went back to the beginning of the book. <laughs> And so that was like I was interested in in Water's choice, but I was also like, okay, but now I want to get now I but now I have to read this whole other chunk of this book before I get back to the point that I that grabbed me. Here's actually the thing where I started to feel like the book was was dragging for me personally was we go through the whole scheme again from the other side. We have learned that Maud feels similarly to Sue as Sue feels to her in her own Maud way, and she is feeling regret about what's happening, but she feels trapped by her circumstances. Um, and so that I think what Waters is doing there is she is putting a high-class character and a low-class character in a similar, like, I'm trapped by what I agreed to do. This is my only option for my own personal liberty and freedom and show them, you know, back to back with each other like that i think Uh that's what waters is up to um and then it goes further and the gentleman (laughs) um after they put 
Modern the Asylum, I thought it was going to cut right to, or put Sue, oh, I got confused. Um, they put Sue in the Asylum. I thought it was going to cut to her there. Instead, we spend another quarter of the book with Gentleman and Maud. He takes her back to London. That's not where he was supposed to take her. He takes her back to Mrs. Suxby's house. And he's like, hey, we'll, we are going to live here now for a few months. And the scheme is actually that we need to turn you back into Sue because 17 years ago, Sue's mom, the real Mrs. Lily, um, gave birth to her and then didn't want her uncle to raise her. So uh, Maud switched her with an orphan that she had, which is you. And so to get the dual inheritance that you're both owed... Uh, I'm gonna take the one for Sue, and then Miss Suxby's gonna take yours when you turn eighteen. Um, so just get ready for that. We're gonna keep you here against your will for a few months. Hope you like it. Hope you enjoy, and don't fight back. And we're gonna take your money. Huh? It's very. It's confusing. It's confusing <laughs> why there's a seventeen-year scheme. It takes. Like, Maud spends a long time upset to be trapped in this place. She does try to escape once. She makes it to one of the porn fiends' house, and he's like, I can't with you, and, like, totally bails on her. It's kind of, it's pretty sad, actually. Um, I can't believe an unreliable porn fiend. I know. In this day and age. That's wild. Like even back in the day, you couldn't trust him. Mm. Um, And then, so, like, uh, Maud resigns to her fate. She learns a little bit of new information about Miss Suxby. And then we cut to the asylum. And then we get like, I immediately was like, man, I just want, I felt the same frustration that Sue did. I wanted to get back to the part of the novel where she could come into conflict with characters I already knew. Cause I was so pretty. The, is, the, is the, the book like hooks you twice and then jerks you out of the part of the story that you were hooked into? It sounds like that's, that's what happened to me. Yes. That's frustrating. Um, it it was frustrating, and it it was frustrating also because I felt like it was preventing me from properly appreciating some of the stuff in the asylum, which is like yeah, mm-hmm. Sue's in there. The doctors all think that she's Maud, and she's like, "No, I'm Sue," and they're like, "Wow, you're crazy, huh?" And it's that <laughs> kind of like Nurse Ratchet. There's another reference for you, Nurse Ratchet kind of stuff. That's good. Thank um, you. that is like really you know melodramatic madhouse stuff that is really upsetting um and she's physically beaten and there there's some interesting like hierarchical gender politics stuff in the the nurses who are like the enforcers of this place and have limited power outside and in you know conventional society and so like really take it out on the women that are kept here for various reasons and have been abandoned by the men in their lives um and so that stuff is really interesting but man i just want sue to get out of there and get back and fight the gentleman <laughs> or whatever was going to happen mm-hmm. and so i felt like and maybe this was me being time crunch for the show i don't know but i was like that's always that's always a thing. Like yeah. I, I don't know if I'm when I'm complaining about a book that's long or that feels like it's trying to do too much. I don't know how much of that is me responding to the work on its own merits and how much is like I need to read 
a book by like 9 p.m. on Sunday <laughs> come hell or high water. So like, some, I think some of it, too, is that because it's a long single or, you know, it's two different characters, but it's all first person. I felt like the world building was in was making me very curious about folks like Gentleman and Suxby and some of those characters. And the book just isn't set up to give me access to them. So, like, if it were the same length, but I got, like, a couple other snippets of those characters, I might be talking completely differently about the world. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like the the easiest way to streamline would be to pick the character whose perspective in a given scene is the most interesting and just give us the story from their perspective instead of... And, and like, maybe you get some of... of, of each character's like backstory flashback style yeah. here and there. But yeah. but there's never a part of the book where you're like, okay, I I know I just got you into this one scene, but let's let's take this all the way back to the beginning and just really <laughs> dig into the the psychological motivations. Like, eh. It's just nah. it's tough. It's tough to do that. And I think the when it works, it works. Like the 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 action beats are really interesting. I found the initial switcheroo twist very confusing. Not the, not actually not the asylum one, the second switcheroo twist. I found that <laughs> kind of confusing. Um, there is a reveal of Maud's parentage that makes that make sense, but it does, you know, beg some questions and you still have to kind of, I think you have to read between the lines a little bit to, to meet the book where it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's about, the two of them finding their way back to each other after the gentleman meets his tragic end. Um, I found the like final confrontation after because Sue's pretty cool. She gets she breaks out of the asylum thanks to a weird kid named Charlie who used to work at the <laughs> Briar House, mm-hmm. and he visits thinking he's visiting Maud and Sue's there, and she's like, "Listen, call me Maud. We're gonna get me out of here." Uh, that part is cool, and. Charlie is kind of a flake, but whatever. He's fine. Um, and after the tragedy of Gentleman resolves, um, Sue and uh, Maud find their way back to each other. Maud is now living in the house by herself. She has taken up uh, pornography writing on her own and getting it published. Her uncle has died for reasons and <laughs> Sue has come into money for reasons. Probably, probably like a bookshelf full of pornography <laughs> fell on him or something. Like just a really. Uh, <laughs> and and it ends with the two of them like seeing each other for the first time in months and kind of hashing out a little bit of what they've been through, but not too much so that it's not so much that it's overwrought. And the final image is like, uh, Sue asking Maud what she's writing because now at this point Maud has has grown from someone who was reading these pornographic texts for her uncle's weird like claiming he it, kind of a like I'm not I don't like them but I need to know about them energy he's got that whole thing going on mm-hmm. um, and she was forced to read them out loud without really understanding them and now she is writing them from her own self-knowledge having been with Sue and she tells Sue that the book, which Sue can't read, um, is filled with all the words for how I want you. And it's this very 
tender moment between the two Ooh. of them. Yeah. And having read some of the snippets of these books that are in this book, you're like, wow, that's probably pretty racy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like um, they are very inter- I like them together, but the book is definitely about them being apart, which is an inherent yeah. tension. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the specifically the I mean the ending, but specifically the last fifty pages because I was struck by how the New York Times review and the Guardian review both mentioned Ooh. specifically the last fifty pages, but have very different perspectives on whether those pages are good or not. Ooh, I I, I <laughs> so, might have glossed over some stuff. Okay, go ahead. All right, so here is the New York Times review. It's only in the last 50 pages that Waters' touch lets her down. Hurting her characters into a room is a rather contrived way of delivering their comeuppance. It robs a pulsating story of the narrative climax it promised, though the novel's emotional complexity is deepened. I'd be churlish to give the ending away. Let's just say that Dickens, the great performer of his own work, would surely have blushed to read it. Uh, Here's the Guardian review. Uh, quote, I was occasionally aware of Waters' unstoppable appetite for detail, her determination to draw out every moment. Could it, should it perhaps have been edited a little? Question mark. But if the writer and critic in me ask these questions, the reader never did, not for a single moment. In fact, the last 50 pages are so sensationally tense that you read them naughtily, one eye on the sentence in hand, the other attempting vainly to cheat and flick ahead. It's an interesting way to describe what each of your hands might be doing in this scenario. Uh. So what did you think of the, what did you think of the ending of it? I guess the ending that they're referring to is the like climactic, for lack of a better word, battle with the gentleman. Okay. I think what there is, what they're talking. That's what the New York times is talking about. So like, that just makes me think of like, Sort of a like an anime or yeah. like the last episode of Avatar: <laughs> Last Airbender, where they're just kind of they go all out and they go Super Saiyan and they fight each other. Well, so Sue finds her way back to London after she escapes from the asylum. At this point, Maud has given up running away and is gonna be whatever weird new Sue that they need her to be. Um, Mrs. Suxby has told Maud about Maud's true parentage, which is also interesting. And they, and, but, but Sue doesn't know any of this information. So Sue runs in thinking that the gentleman and Maud left her in an asylum. She also thinks that Mrs. Suxby knows nothing about any of this. And that is not true. <laughs> That's definitely not true. Mrs. Suxby was in on it the whole time. And Sue runs in with a knife and is like, oh, I'm going to kill Maude. I'm so mad. This stinks. And everyone's like, whoa, Sue, where'd you come from? This is a real surprise. And then the gentleman <laughs> comes home, and he is just kind of mean to everyone. And at this point, Miss Suxby loves both Maude and Sue. And Sue is kind of not really getting why everyone's on board with Maude being here. And then it boils to a to a head with uh Maud getting mad at gentlemen for threatening Sue as well as Miss Suxby and the two of them stab him or w- one of them stabs him but we don't know who did it and they use the knife that Sue brought Miss Suxby ultimately takes blame for it uh-huh. and is killed and in in a kind of like come full circle of Sue watching her, you know, 
when she was growing up who she thought was her mother uh, hanged for murder. And so that I like that part. I don't know. It did yeah, did it feel very like capital D Dickensian? You, you always capitalize the D. It felt Dickensian. <laughs> Dickensian it's sure. His name. Yeah. Um I was so happy that stuff was happening related. <laughs> I was so happy that stuff was was happening related to the characters that I expected to bump back into each other again. Sure. That I wasn't like this feels contrived. This feels contrived. Yeah. It's a the. I don't know. I've been reading four hundred, five hundred pages of contrivance up in that up until that point. You know, like people have been swip swip swapping identities left and right. I'm okay with that part. Yeah, sure. And and I think the 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 only thing about the end that I guess I would agree as like a critique is like the twists don't feel twisty. They don't. Well, mm, the twists feel expected. You can okay. see that they're going to happen. You can see that this bit of information that maybe you've guessed or you've intuited from another part of the book is going to get revealed. Nothing feels like that first end of part one. That first twist that the book pulled you away from. Yeah. That first that twist you're is, gonna keep you're gonna keep trying to get back to you for the rest of your life. It is. It really is. It's honestly, I don't know if you knew this when you started riffing about M. Night Shyamalan at the beginning of this podcast, but oh, that I did. first anything any that's the twist, is that I knew it all along. Well, everything is different now. Um, mm -hmm. Cue the montage of me knowing along the way where you were talking about twists. Mm -hmm. um, it does feel like that one is so momentous that the rest of the book knows that it needs twists, but they are there's a little more work going into making them happen, and you can see more of that work. So that might be what people are responding to. Um, the characters still work for me. Um, and I was like pleasantly surprised by where Sue and Maud like ended up, even though I knew that they were going to get back together, whatever that meant for them. But, uh, the specific circumstances were, were somewhat surprising. So cool. That's fingersmith. I'll just share with you this sidebar. There's a, there's a conversation that the uncle has with one of the porn fiends, what a sentence where they're what an amazing <laughs> sentence for our book podcast where they're talking about photography like the new which is the new fashion and it like i think the gentleman is actually talking about photography and how it's gonna like capture everyone's attention because you don't have to be literate and you don't have to communicate the like the idea in so many words. People will just get it. People all across the world can look at a picture of someone's face and understand how they were feeling. And this is what the uncle says, Andrew, it is gripped mm -hmm. by history. It is corrupted by it. Its history hangs about it like so much smoke. You may see it in the fitting of a slipper, a gown, the dressing of a head. Give photographs to your grandson. He will study them and think them quaint. He will laugh at the wax tips of your mustaches. But words, they seduce us in darkness and the mind clothes and fleshes them to fashions of its own. I was like, Dang, Uncle, you kind of suck, but that's a cool point you made. I don't even know if I agree <laughs> with it, like if I carry it to its logical end. But the note, like but you just you said it cool. He said it cool, and also <laughs> like it is a thing where you look at old timey photographs and you're like, that's an old timey photograph. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, 
and you do and you you look at a photo of your parents in the seventies and you're like, what was that? What was that guy doing with those, with that mustache? Well, and it's like the the passage of time imbues these moments that would have been totally like work a day or, or, yeah. or like not particularly notable to the people in the photo and the passage of time and like the novelty of getting a window into something that happened so long ago makes it feel more important than it must have been and then, or and, more significant than it must and have And then been. you're like rest you're trying to reconcile that importance with like I don't know why that person wore that hair that day. <laughs> and the point that the uncle is making is that like the word because it's words, there's still something that your contemporary mind has to wrestle with to make the word mean something. So that might be more powerful or might convey a more like immediate present, you know, present tense image to you. Sure. Um, and I don't know that I, I fall on either side of that argument. I just wasn't, I was struck by it in the moment. I was like, this is a scene where Maude is learning about these porn guys and the gentleman's there. And then this was this cool thing that popped out. And I do think that the book has stuff like that peppered throughout. And it is a witty book and the characters are, are fun to hang out with at times. Um, so I think for folks who weren't, who did not find it shaggy, it's probably stuff like that that buoyed them through. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's my that's my take. I know everyone asked for my specific personal take. The Craig the Craig take. I don't I try I don't often come in with a take. Mm-hmm. But I did this time. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that you did. Thank you for taking my take. <laughs> God. We're gonna get out of here. Uh, you can respond via email to my take at overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. Thanks to Gabinet, Maria, Lucas, Megs, Kylie, Amber, Shelby, Gloria, Alex, Casey, Steven, as well as Ingrid, who reminded some folks that we once read a book called You Are a Shark and We Were Never a Shark. We were never a shark. It was a lie. That was a twist. That was the twist. Thanks, M. Knight. Um, Thanks to Nick Larangis, who composed our theme song. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple and whatever, and you can subscribe, and you'll have a wonderful time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> rate and review us. Let people know that you like the show. Do Thanks. rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. It's been a while since I've looked, since I uh, was obsessing over the negative reviews and not really registering the positive ones. And that's just not an energy that I need here in 2021, but please do review us and rate us. Yeah. Because it helps people find the show and it helps people know what you think. Uh, patreon.com slash overdue pod is our Patreon page. You can donate there and get bonus episodes early. You can sit in on some of our episode recordings. Uh, we have a good time. It's always a good time. Yeah, we just posted on the main feed last Friday, last Friday or Saturday, the uh, recent combo episode of Jagged Little Mill, our Don Quixote miniseries. Um, if you have downloaded this podcast and you're subscribed to the show, chances are you have also downloaded that one. Go give it a listen. Thanks. Yeah. And uh, next week for the show, I am going to be reading uh, The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and we'll, we'll so. post the December schedule on social after that, and we'll probably talk about it on that episode as well. So stay tuned. It's going to be a fun month. We've got plans. Every month's fun, but 
This one will be fun. It will be. Like, especially fun. <laughs> okay. Just like this episode was fun. Thanks, Andrew. It was a really fun one. All right. Thanks, Craig. Everybody, until we hit you next week with another bunch of awesome audio words, try to be happy. <laughs> I actually really like this energy. It does feel like the train might ride off the track. Any I second. mean, we already hung out for like five hours today. Yeah, like, what else we are we going to say? Usually we're supposed to podcast with that energy. This, this is, no, this is good. We're all warmed up. Um,